What people also say is foreign buyers bought my neighbor's house. This is a gripe of mine. You, you know, anyone who's looking at me, I am Asian. What you yeah. don't realize is that they look like me, but yeah. they're from Vancouver. They're yeah. either they're either born and raised in Vancouver, or they have immigrated already, and they're naturalized Canadian citizens. You know, and you're calling them foreign? Come on. Welcome to the Tom Story Show with Steve Karish and Tom Story, where we discuss everything real estate or whatever else is on our minds. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Tom Story Show. I hope your Sunday is off to a great start, or if you're listening to this during the week, I hope whatever day it is for you, it is off to a great start. We want to say thank you for everyone watching on YouTube. If you haven't already, make sure to join our growing community by hitting that big subscribe button. Steve, the subscribe button's not red anymore. Did you notice that? It's actually black now. I've gotten used to asking people to hit that big red button. It is no longer red, apparently. If you're listening on the audio apps, we just want to say thank you, and I hope you're having an amazing day. On to today's guest, because this guest is legendary. You just have to look it up in their Instagram name, but it's also the truth. So Tony Joe has joined us, the legendary Tony Joe, from the prime real estate team in Victoria, BC with Remax Island Properties. He's also the host. He's been hosting shows way longer than me and Steve have of the whole home show, which is a radio show. Tony, is it just in is it all BC or just Victoria for the the whole home show? It's actually Victoria, but it is a Bell Media and iHeart Radio uh, program, so it does get uh, broadcast across the country, I gather. Very, very cool. And uh, Tony has been in the real estate industry since 1991, which for no other reason, I just want to say awesome year, great year, such (laughs) a great year. No other reason why I'm saying that. Tony, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, both of you. Yeah. I, yeah. uh, so it, we got, it was, it was a good year. And, uh, how old were you at that time? Is this what we're, we're well, talking? depending on the month of that year, I was either not quite born or getting ready to be born. <laughs> okay. Oh, March, 1991. That was when I started. Okay. Well, I, I came to existence a few months later. Okay. Well, there we go. And, and here we are today. So Tony, thank you for being on the show. I know Steve, Steve's excited because he likes when the West coast joins us. Um, my first question and probably the most important question, if you live on an island, does it automatically just make you cooler than everybody else? Can you break that down for me? <laughs> you know, I wish that were true. It's funny because Vancouver Island, people forget about how big it is. So to drive from north to south, it's about an eight and a half, eight and a half hour drive. Oh, it's wow. a big island. So, you know, for, for us islanders we don't really think of vancouver island as an island like when we go to the smaller islands like the gulf island salt spring maine pender uh, all of those um, you know that are peppered between us and vancouver we consider those going to islands and then those would be the cool people right we're, we're just normal people the islands within normal. the islands basically that's right? right that's right and and how long have you lived in victoria uh, I was born and raised. My dad was born and raised. I'm a I'm a fourth generation uh, uh, Victorian, so been here for a long time. That is so crazy. And is there like, but is there like a when you see someone from the island, you know, not on the island, you give each other a little nod, like, hey, <laughs> like, is it like a club that we don't know about? Is there a private Facebook group? Like, what's it like? A secret handshake. A secret yeah, exactly. Handshake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, let me tell you this. You know, the interesting thing about Victoria in particular, most of the island, for that matter. Everyone here has come from somewhere else. 
So there's very few, you know, whenever I'm speaking to a group of people, I'll ask how many people were born, raised, and never left Vancouver Island or Victoria. And at best, I get maybe 5% hands up. Everyone has come from another place. They've come from Toronto. They come from Ontario. You know, uh, after the war, there was a ton of prairie folk, right? So, um, you know, we don't really do that, not because, uh, you know, it, in fact, it would be more common for someone to wink at a fellow Vancouverite because they used to live there, right? I see. Yeah. Yeah. And and what's the population like the population of the entire island? I know there's it's it's big obviously. What's that number? Yeah, so Victoria itself, the capital regional district, is just over 400, four hundred, I think four hundred and twenty thousand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with the rest of the island, uh, the rest of the island, I think is another three hundred and something. So call it seven hundred thousand or seven hundred and fifty thousand for the island. Now, me living in Toronto, we have an island too. Um, yes. yeah. <laughs> it's not quite the same. You can get there from like a 15 minute ferry. Steve, for you living in the suburbs of Vancouver, for Vancouver Island of Victoria and all the little islands, what's what's it like to get there? Can you just easily get there? Is it a full day trip? Do you go there just to hang out for the day or is it like we're going to the island for a week? If you can afford the ferry, it's super <laughs> quick and easy, right? That's always been a tough spot. Like they've always talked about, you know, are we going to put a bridge there one day because that would probably be a heck of a lot of construction but it would probably be smart for everybody but ferries are expensive uh, i never go never ever go um but because uh i grew up on the wrong side of the tracks it was not uncommon for my dad to be like okay here's what we're doing today we would walk onto the ferries to victoria we would take the ferry ride over and not get off on the other side and take the ferry ride back <laughs> so you go going for a cruise a day you cruise. get one fare yeah you get one fare and it's somewhere between what three and four hours round trip and that yeah. was entertainment for the day so that's what the poor kids did oh the ferry is oh. like a two-hour ferry depending on which stop you're stop to stop you're going to yeah yeah so so i mean let's let's just talk about that a little bit um yeah. the bc ferries they are an extension of the highway system actually Hmm. And um, the uh, from Swanson to Swartz Bay, which is the, the the main one between Vancouver and Victoria, it's ninety minutes on the water, but you have to get there first, right? So it's a bit of a trek, right? Because you're waiting at the terminal for at least half an hour, sometimes an hour. Uh, that is forty minutes from downtown Vancouver. And then on the other side, from uh, the ferry terminal to Victoria, it's another 30 minutes. So, you know, the travel time alone is about three hours. You could uh, uh, day trip it, but it's tough. But listen, there's other options, too. Like, mm-hmm. we've got seaplanes and helijet. So helijet? we can go helijet. That it's sounds hel- fancy. Oh, my God. It's fantastic. So uh, you can do harbor to harbor uh, 30 minutes. Um, when you See, when you think about it, since Victoria is the provincial capital, there's a lot of politicians here. So we get a lot of day traffic back and forth in the air by seaplane and by uh, helijet. But, you know, Steve was talking about cost, the ferry cost. What is it now? I think it's about, you know, call it 80 bucks one way for a driver in a car, right? Um, to jump on a helicopter or a seaplane, it's about 300 bucks each way. Per person. Per person, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. I, I but if your company pays, you know. I think last time I took my family, uh, it was like 140 bucks one way on the ferry. On the ferry. Is yeah. the ferry cheaper if you don't bring your car onto the ferry, or do you yes. need a yes. car? 
Yeah. yeah. It's, I think it's $16 uh, is your passenger component. Oh, so it's really just the car that's expe- the expensive part. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And then the Uber on either side, because neither ferry terminal on this side of the water is anywhere near anything. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's kind of a, a bit of a silly system. But the one thing, Tom, you have to know about going to Victoria from a non-Victorian's point of view is as soon as you get off on the other side, everyone does like 30 kilometers below the speed limit and has gray hair and white shoes. <laughs> oh, my God. What do we have to say to that, Tony? <laughs> I cannot deny that. <laughs> cannot deny full full yes the um okay there's a couple of things here uh the driving patterns yes are different now something that i've been told uh i had a pal over one day from the lower mainland and we were stuck in victoria traffic and i was like oh my god i can't believe it i gotta wait for the stoplight i missed the stoplight i gotta wait one more and he's like what are you talking about like in steve's neck of the woods there you're waiting for three lights right or, or so the traffic is 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 kind of non-existent. We're spoiled because uh, in the city of Victoria, pretty well everything is twenty minutes away. Like you can't, mm. like everything you need uh, is twenty minutes or shorter, and um, that's the nice thing about island life. Combined with the fact that if we need more, if we need to go to a concert, if we need to go to uh, a sports game or or whatever, have a, a little staycation away. Getting to Vancouver is more of an event for us, but it's not just Vancouver because we also got Seattle. So mm. Seattle is equidistant. We can go either either way. It's the same amount of time. I love Seattle, personally. Right? If you love want to Vancouver. see a hockey team that actually wins games, you go to Seattle. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. So Steve, <laughs> what? No comment. No, he doesn't no care comment. about hockey. He doesn't even I care. Don't, I gave yeah. up on the Canucks a while back. Um, yeah. Okay, so Tony's, I am going though yeah. soon, soon to my first cracking game in a couple. In a few oh, you weeks, are. So yeah, I am. very exciting. Yeah, Steve is a big Leafs fan. When he's in Toronto, he comes to all the Leafs oh, games, and they win huge. every time. Yeah, every <laughs> single time they beat they beat uh, their really? opponents every time I'm in the building. And they were playing the Canucks last time, so it was perfect. Um, okay, Tony. Cool. So we we got to the understanding of the islands has no traffic. The people there are cool. They drive a little slow. They got gray hair. Everything's close to you. Okay, so getting there is one thing. If you can afford the ticket on the ferry to get there, now you're there and you're looking around. And you're like, you know what? It's pretty nice here. Maybe I want to buy a property here. So can you run me through like what does it cost to live on the island and in Victoria? All right. Well, uh, Vancouver, sorry, Victoria is known to be the third most expensive real estate in Canada. Okay. Which is amazing considering how small it is. I mean, we're a small community at 400,000, right? We're not a metropolitan city like Montreal or um, even Calgary, right? right. Um, so after your guys' neck of the woods, after the, the GTA, after the lower mainland, in comes Victoria. Presently, the average price for a single-family house um, is at $1.2 million. By the way, so that's a house because, Tom, you, you guys in the GTA, you typically combine – all housing types, right? Yeah, they they cluster them all together for our average price. So it's a bit, it's a bit on the like you know take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Um, so one point two, Steve. You guys, you guys are probably like at one seven or something like that right now. Here's the thing, though. I find like I think our, I think our numbers right now are like just one five, maybe okay. they're like one one nine a year ago. But I have a ton of people. When people retire, they go to the interior or they go to the island. Period. That's it's what happens around here. But a lot of people think they're going to leave my market of Surrey or Langley and go to Victoria and maybe even do better. 
and get more house. And the reality is that Victoria, in my experience, is closer to like Burnaby East Vancouver pricing than it is to Surrey pricing. So uh, most of the time the people actually have to go up Island to get into affordable stuff. Yeah. Which is the reason why the, uh, the marketplaces up Island have all kind of exploded too. So we're talking couch and Valley, Duncan, Nanaimo, right. Um, we have the new, uh, uh, speculation and vacancy, not new, but the speculation and vacancy tax and foreign buyer taxes, that were previously just in Victoria and Nanaimo, they've opened up into Duncan as well too. So it's kind of saying something, the government saying, wow, you know, those are expansion areas too. So um, it it is, it is expensive, Steve, you know, the, the ones that I find interesting are the folks that come from Calgary specifically, because uh, Calgary, of course, a great family town. There's so many amenities, everything's there. Uh, Almost every time somebody calls us up and says, we're thinking of moving from Calgary but what we want to do is we want to do a lateral move for the same money, you know, get either the same kind of house or more house. What they don't realize is no that, idea. yeah, what they don't realize is that Calgary's prices are half of Victoria. Wow. Yeah. So you got to pay double or you're getting half the house, right? And does half the house even exist? Not really, not, right? Not real. Well, I mean, they're going from like a new subdivision house to a, you know, 1950s, you know, uh, post-war cookie cutter, uh, you know, really uninteresting without a garage. Like they, you know, it's tough, right? So yeah. it's a, it's, it's a big change, but there's, there are reasons for this, by the way, there's reasons why Victoria is the way it is. Um, I mean, let's run, let's run through it right now. It's a government town. Right. I mentioned that a moment ago. So, you know, uh, provincial capital, it is the location of the Pacific fleet. So it's a Navy town. Um, tourism heavily, you know, one of the economic factors, uh, it is a tech town as well too. So we've got a really busy, uh, technology sector, uh, and, uh, lifestyle, right? Because the weather is temperate. It never gets super hot here. It never gets super cold here. Uh, we have maybe a day or two of snow and then everyone freaks out. The schools close. We don't know how to handle snow. Steve was talking about drivers. Oh my goodness. You should see it when it snows because nobody's <laughs> got snow tires. It just doesn't exist there. No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking at all you and all of our friends in the GTA talking about, Oh, I got to store my tires for the season. What is that? Nobody changes their tires here. This they're running on all seasons or, or summers all year round, right? And had, did it? Did you have any big snowfalls this year? I haven't been tracking. And normally, I see a few like videos every year of people with shovels not knowing what to do. Um, mm-hmm. Have you guys had that in twenty twenty three so far? Or was it was it late twenty twenty two? No, we had it just before Christmas, right, Steve? We did. Well, we just got one like a week and a half ago. That was nuts here. Uh, There's a big really? difference, though. If you're coming from other parts, I've been to many other parts. Not many. I've been to multiple other parts of Canada when it's snowing. And we got an inch here the other day. And let me tell you, I have never seen so much ice underneath of that inch. Because when it pours rain for three weeks and then immediately turns to snow in an hour, it's it's a rough situation. You guys back i mean i've i've been as close as Kamloops when it starts snowing and everything just blows off the road and it's fine so i have the excuse here of our our ice and slush is next level here compared to anywhere else i've been yeah especially when you're on summer tires yeah oh uh, uh, what is there anything different there's just all seasons period yeah 
Yeah. We call all yeah. seasons in Toronto. It's all seasons except for winter because it doesn't work <laughs> in winter, right? Um, well, we just had like some of those minus thirty-five days last week. I was lucky. I had a I had a vacation plan, so I was in Florida during that. So I, I'm I'm back now, but uh, I missed out on the really really cold days, which I'm sure people from uh, from Calgary are like, well, you know, just welcome to our world here. But Tony, I got I got a question for you. Going back to prices, so. Understanding that there's a lot of great things about living in Victoria, so so that's why, and all the other things that you that you touched on, why it's expensive, right? Have you seen the same run up and drop off of prices as the rest of us throughout these these interest rates and, and the changing over, let's call it the last 13 months from the beginning of last year? Yes, yeah, absolutely. It 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 mirrors uh, the main marketplaces uh, very similarly. Uh, you know, my background is as you know, I mean, I have a lot of I, I do coaching uh, for real estate company and. Um, I have a lot of clients who are in all the market areas, you know, GTA surrounding, uh, lower mainland, uh, prairies and all that stuff. And, and uh, yeah, we're no better or no worse than uh, other marketplaces. What I will say is there was a point in time uh, post um, 2008. So uh, I was the president of the real estate board here in Victoria in 2008. And of course, that was the subprime mortgage crisis. And of course, the economy kind of went really odd uh, 2009. And 2010, um, we had noticed at the time that we didn't suffer like Vancouver did. So Vancouver had a, uh, actually Vancouver and Toronto had a pretty big stall uh, at that time. And uh, Victoria didn't suffer as much. So, you know, in some ways it's, it's a little more insulated, right? And I think part of that is, has to do with the fact that we're not an industry town. So people don't really come here to like we don't make anything we don't we don't uh, create anything like we're just the, the things that i mentioned a moment ago you know mil- military uh, uh tony there's people in nanaimo banging their fists right now saying we make nanaimo bars <laughs> yes yeah no we yeah we create nothing so you know we're not we're not really influenced by um the manufacturing sector right it's it's pretty well service uh um government uh all that you think government's the number one reason why like similar to ottawa here it's like you have all those government jobs ottawa's market kind of hovers along nicely doesn't see the craziness as the rest of us they still saw the ups and downs but it wasn't quite what toronto saw yeah yeah and you know the other interesting thing too is when we think about military a lot of our military relocations are people that planned for this to be their last destination you know, after years of service and they've seen everything, they've lived everywhere, they're like, okay, we want to plan it out so that Victoria is our last uh, relocation. And that's how they end up here. So they're not doing that with Halifax or they're not doing that with, you know, Petawawa or whatever, right? They're number one, you guys, number one industry or at least income for citizens must be CPP. Right? Like that- <laughs> Oh, pension wow. plan must be the thing, right? <laughs> oh like that, honestly, because it is it is a retiree town, Victoria, is it not, or is that changed? All right, there was that old saying that Victoria is the town of the newly wed and nearly dead. <laughs> that's that's what they used to call. Oh, yes, absolutely. Can, again, cannot deny that, Steve. Cannot deny that. However, um, especially since COVID. We've had a lot of younger families families move back to the island, and a lot of that drive had to do with. Um, I mean, you guys, we all saw it. Uh, people, the lifestyle changed. People changed areas due to schools or work or whatever. Um, we had a lot of families 
that you know people came from Victoria, they went to Vancouver for their career, and then they've discovered that they can still stay in that career and maybe work remotely, and they moved back to Victoria because they cashed out of their $2 million house and they bought a nice house here for you know a million two or something. So we are definitely younger. We know that because our new schools that have been built um, have had to have expansions a year or two after they open. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. So um, it, yes, we still have retirees. Yes, there are definitely still, you know, a lot of retirement communities. I do a lot of work for um, a lot of uh, amenities for seniors, but it's, it's becoming younger. It's becoming younger. Tony, I want to ask you, you're a, you're a rare breed of someone that looks young, very young, but has been doing, <laughs> but has been doing real estate as long as I have been alive. Yes. So, so you've got perspective on interest rates that I don't have. And Steve doesn't have, I just yes. like you to, to give us like a, are we going to be okay? Is, have they stopped? You've seen much higher than this. You've seen much lower than this. What's your general feeling about interest rates? Well, I was mentioning March 1991. That's when I started. My first sale was my sister. I sold them a house at 998 Violet Street, and the price was $137,000. Uh, that house today is maybe a million-dollar house. You know, it's kind of modest, modest house, right? So first of all, 30 years from 137 to a million dollars. That's what happens in real estate, right? Mm. Um, I remember they got at the time the killer interest rate of 11.5%, right? Uh, my brother-in-law, who's very much a numbers guy, he was thrilled. He's like, oh my God, like we got 11.5% because you know it was maybe 12 or 13 or, or whatever. I paid no attention because I was new in the business and I just, you know, uh, the, the elders were telling me about 1981. And they're like, oh, my God, we had 19%. You know, that's when rates were at 22% and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I have to say for the majority of my career, it feels like rates at like 6 to 8% were kind of the norm, mm. right? So when we hit this period of 2%, and, you know, um, uh, Bank of Canada rates at, you know, 0.5% and all that, we were always like, okay, no, this is unsustainable. We know that this is kind of, you know, the reason why this is, it's going to go back up, right? The the presumption that people have, though, is that when interest rates go up, prices go down. And what they forget about is the whole supply and demand thing, because, you see, it hasn't it hasn't cut back on the amount of people that want to move here or want to move to the GTA or want to move to the lower mainland. People still do. And it's the same with cars, you know, uh, uh, Steve, you were talking about your, um, uh, your wife's car, right? Cars go up in price too, right? I remember when Honda Accords were $16,000. They're not now, right? You know, a new one. I don't know. I haven't looked for a while. A new one on the lot's probably 50 grand. Right there. Well, the ones I was looking at were thirty eight thousand dollars for a Honda Accord, just so you know, Tony. And the okay. used ones were forty two thousand dollars. So oh. enjoy that. <laughs> can enjoy I just that can I just throw a little jab in here? This episode of the Tom Story Show is brought to you by the YouTube for Real Estate video course. Are you interested in creating an engaging, value-driven YouTube channel to help educate your client base on real estate in your market, as well as introduce a new revenue stream to your business? Perhaps you've already created a YouTube channel, but are struggling to gain viewership and the subscribers you are looking for. The YouTube for Real Estate course will provide you with proven tips and strategies on how to create and cultivate an engaging 
growing YouTube channel, as well as how to optimize your channel, resulting in higher viewership, subscribers, and yes, deals. But that's not it. I implemented YouTube in my business in early 2021, and it has easily been the best marketing source for meeting new clients that I have ever had in my business, period. Better than expensive geofarming, internet marketing, and open houses combined. And now it even rivals my repeat and referral business. If you would like to learn all the tips and tricks for meeting new clients using YouTube, simply go to video course login or click the link in the description below and sign up for the YouTube for real estate course today and learn a year's worth of my painstaking research of learning how to use YouTube for real estate in just a few hours by taking the YouTube for real estate course. So go to videocourselogin.com right now and use the promo code TOMSHOW at checkout. Again, that's videocourselogin.com or simply use the link below. Steve was bragging about paying his car off and then literally less than a month later, what what happened? Trans- the, the transition. The transi- <laughs> Wow. We called it. We knew this was, was going to happen. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Let that be a lesson. Never pay your car off, right? Yeah, uh, that that one was actually a cash purchase. I paid off the other one, so I've got uh, that one will go next week. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but but anyways, we're talk, talking metrics here, right? Yeah. It, like everything goes up, and you know, if people say, "Well, interest rates influence it," well, is that thirty eight thousand dollar Honda Accord going to become a twenty four thousand car again? Well, no. Labor costs have gone up, right? Material costs have gone up. Um, a whole host of things, right? I was having a conversation with a client a couple of weeks ago about a uh, cost building per square foot. I don't know what it is like for you guys, but here uh, at a minimum it's 300 bucks a square foot, mm-hmm. right? For a kind of basic building, right? And I remember, it wasn't that long ago, Arbutus Ridge, which is a retirement community uh, just before Duncan here, um, they were selling, you had to use their builder and it was a hundred bucks a square foot and everyone yeah. thought that was highway robbery, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's just materials because- in Toronto, then you add in all the development fees and with the purchase of the land for these developers, they can't even bring a new unit to the market under a thousand bucks a square foot on their end. It's insane. Yeah, oh my God. I had a, in 2012, I had a client that was considering selling or building. Those were their two options. And I brought them uh, basically a builder that I know and he priced it out. And their build at that time, so this is 10 years ago, was 100 to 125 a foot. <laughs> their cost after the builder made his money. So at this point, you got to think in 10 years, that number, yeah, I would say a cheap, cheap, cheap build right now is 250. Yeah. If you and can really get. you're three, Yeah, and really you're, you're probably 300. So do those costs ever come down? Or are we going to be like Saskatchewan where you're going to build a $600,000 house and put it up for 250? Yeah. Right? Like that's, that's where I see us, us going here in the next little bit. I don't see us being at a spot where building for the next little bit makes any sense. I'm, in no means am I in the building side of things. Yeah. But building that 400, uh, that, or sorry, four thousand square foot house. Even if you're building it yourself for two fifty a foot, how is that going to make sense? Yeah. Even if you got the land for free. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Right? Yeah. 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 You're, I mean, you're going to build a house now for a million bucks. You're going to your land in Surrey anyway is a million bucks. And let's so, so let's say you're into it total for one one, 
and that's not a nice neighborhood or sorry, two one, and that's not a nice neighborhood. And what you're going to sell it for what? 2.5 when it's worth 1.8. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Weird spot. So Tony, for people listening and watching that say, well, the market's got to crash, you know, prices will come down another 30%, right? Is it just mathematically, although I understand why they're saying that it, everyone's in their own bias, wants things to work out for them. I understand it, right? Mm-hmm. Is it just mathematically impossible or is it possible, but not likely? Well, let's talk about what would need to happen for Victoria prices to go down 30%. Sure. Right. Uh, it would need, yeah, super high interest rates. It would need the demand to go away. So it would need people to stop coming here for some reason or other, right? Um, which is tough because we get the relocations from military, government, uh, hospitality, uh, technology, all of those things. People relocate here. So let's just imagine this. Let's close the doors and say no more people coming in. That's going to have to happen, right? Um, the other thing that's going to have to happen too, potentially, is uh, overstock or overbuilding. And the issue here in Victoria, when you look at the map, we're the southernmost tip of the island. We're surrounded by water on three sides. And we have a little mountain range called the Malahat on the fourth side. So what happens is we've got no more expansion space. That's the reason why Victoria is becoming taller, like any other city, right? We're getting condos and all that. We're getting uh, higher density. Um, there is no more land. I always, I always joke, and I did this just the other day on Saturday. Whenever I fly into Calgary, I always, I got this little thing that I do. I look out the window and I look at the last house of the city. And I make note of the fact that the next time I fly by, it's probably not going to be the last house. Because what happens in a big city like that is they just open up the, uh, the city limits and they build more. You see, we can't do that here because we've got water on three sides, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, again, getting back to your question about what needs to happen for prices to go down, um, those things that I mentioned, in addition to there has to be some sort of uh, economic, huge economic crisis uh, to which housing costs in Victoria suddenly aren't going to be you know, <laughs> a priority, right? There's going to be a lot of other ugliness out there. So um, will prices go down? No, the the demand remains. Every week we have people coming from other parts of the country saying it's time for us to move. Yep. And, you know, supply. So, so, Tony, are you saying you disagree with Better Dwellings article that prices are going to go back to 2014 pricing? Yes, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know what? I, I just always, I refer to, you guys remember when, when COVID hit, when, uh, what's his name from CMHC, uh, the, the, uh, Oh, Evan something at the time. Sidal. Yes. You know, he was making all these forecasts and I get it. We didn't have a lot of information back then. You guys remember that, you know, he himself was saying, well, prices are going to go down. Uh, they've got to drop 18 to 20% or whatever it is. Uh, and he was a hundred percent incorrect. Like in every way. And, and, you know, nobody talks about that. This is an economist for, um, you know, for CMHC. Uh, So economists, they, hey, they, I guess that's something else I want to bring to the table, Tom, is that 30 years in the business, 
also means that I have read a lot of forecasts from <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, economists, right? And especially when I was a spokesperson for the real estate board and all that kind of stuff. Um, the thing that always kind of amazes me is they they don't listen a lot to the real estate industry because they think that we're a self-serving uh, um, organization. But what they and forget... I, about- I understand that argument, by the way. Like, I understand when people say that. Because yeah. you sell something that you make money on, if prices go up, it only serves you. Like, I understand the argument, yeah. right? Yeah. But you know what? But they, they forget about the fact that, uh, first of all, we serve... We are the people with boots on the ground. So we're the ones that know the stories of why they're moving, how, you know, what's going on, what the situations are, what, you know, what the motivation is. Um, the other thing that they forget about is, you know, they think that our role is to, is to protect values. Like you said, we sell higher prices, we got higher commissions. Well, let's face it. If prices were softer, we all could probably sell double the amount of real estate because Way more people could afford it. More real I would love estate. that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> right? You know, I would yeah, we would love prices to go down. People think that, you know, our 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 role is to maintain those prices. No. Get us cheaper real estate because we could sell a lot more, right? Totally. Uh yeah. the only economist that we love, friend of the show, Brandon Ogmanson. Hello, yeah. Brandon. Yeah. He, he Brandon. had been on the Brent, Brent, Brandon, Brandon. I'm so sorry, you Brandon. Don't miss name. I've been pronoun- mispronouncing names on my channel. I'm getting shit for it. So he was a great. It's, he was by a the great way, it's Tony interview. Joe. It's Joe J O E Joe. Thanks for the clarification yeah, on that. Yeah. Um, Brandon they, is fantastic. Yeah, he, he's awesome. Yeah, we had him on. I don't know six or seven episodes ago. Okay, so Tony, there has been recent <laughs> articles in which states that one in six people in Canada own multiple properties. In Toronto, as much as forty-one percent of people own all of the condos. Investors own forty-one percent. It's crazy. Steve, you got you want to jump in here? I want to jump in here because okay. I had a. So I did a video on this. Um, I thought it was uh, same video that I mispronounced the name. By the way. Um, I thought it was hilarious after thinking about it for a bit, and it was so simple. One third of Canadians rent, but it is offensive that one third of Canadians own more than one property. Amazing, isn't that like one wow. third of one third of properties are owned by landlords? This is outrageous. But just because I need a short for the week, Tom, here's my new thought. Okay. My new thought is that since investors are such a problem, they are uh, like driving up prices, we can solve this immediately by making renting property for residential use illegal. Fixed. Let me run for government. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's because we've also been banking on private sector, I guess, in terms of like landlords, people buying condos from developments to give the rental inventory, which doesn't exist because we haven't built purpose built. That's all it comes down to, right? Um, yeah. I, I want to see what Tony, <laughs> I want to see what Tony has. To so say this, my, this my Tony, statement. this is, this is all going to, is this an issue in Victoria as well? Do people, it, are investors buying up all these properties? Oh yeah. It's horrible here. Not only that, I mean, because it is a tourist town, the other thing as well is the transient, uh, 
transient accommodations to all the short-term vacation rentals and stuff. Mm. And, you know, there's that whole push towards, oh my goodness, you know, it's taken away the, uh, you know, the, the hotels aren't happy and it's taken away inventory and all this kind of stuff. We as well, you know, we're a smaller marketplace, so kind of more of a microcosm compared to both of you guys. Uh, we also had no uh, purpose-built rental stock built for over 20 years until recently. And now we have hundreds of units coming online in its for rental stock. But be careful what you wish for because all of this new rental inventory, people are, are bemoaning, they're crying, they're gnashing teeth because they're saying, oh, what is this? This is not affordable rental. You know, you're looking at these new units and they are, you know, $2,200 for two bedroom units and people are going crazy. They're like, this is not helping at all. It's so expensive and wonder, but they, they forget about the fact that we have a, uh, a rental continuum and this new inventory, uh, taken up by someone who's moving out and uh, making vacant a kind of lower level or lower quality rental for for that marketplace so we can't ever win i ask you know all of a sudden we're talking about affordability a little bit i talked to my pals in winnipeg or thunder bay thunder mm-hmm. bay ontario hey guys uh what's it like over there oh we got really bad affordability problem what at an average price of three sixty nine, you got affordability issues. So, you know, what do we got to be, <laughs> right? It's a good point, right? It's like everyone remembers how it used to be and just thinks that's how it always should be, right? There's that reminds me, Tom. But way back, actually, decades ago now, let's let's call it that, but not that long ago, when we were on uh, group calls together, Tom and I, and we had somebody in our group, uh, Cody Krause. Right, who is, uh, what is that? Windsor, Essex area, that area. Yep. Right, and our house prices at this time were, let's call it, eight hundred, nine hundred thousand. And where he was, they went from like two hundred to three hundred in a year. And everyone there is complaining about how unaffordable houses are, and you can't get a one-bedroom apartment where I am for that price. So that's an effect that's going to happen no matter where the people are. They're just going to think the situation they're in right now should always be better or more affordable. There's no difference. doesn't matter how it, I mean, it's almost like you could give away free homes and then people would complain about, ah, my situation should be better. Oh, but I have to pay tax on this free home. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> on the flip side, uh, gents, okay, I was in the UK over Christmas time and I was, uh, I was in London for a while. Stayed in a uh, uh, nice place in Chelsea, which is right in town. Across the street was a real estate uh, uh, office. And of course, what do all, what do we always do when we're in other towns? You look in the window, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's another eye-opening situation because, uh, you know, in order to make cities like Toronto or Vancouver feel affordable, all we got to do is look at the prices in some of these other uh, uh, long-standing metropolitan areas, right? Um, I can't, you know, I was looking at a townhouse in Belgravia, which is, you know, not far from the palace and, you know, you're spending 40 million pounds, right? Where does this money come from? Right. Uh, that's a big ticket item in both of your marketplaces. Right. But that's just an everyday, it's an everyday situation over there. Right. I guess the question is if you were to say, okay, this place in which I'm looking to buy in is unaffordable and I do not deem it, deem it to be affordable. Okay. That's a under, that statement happens all the time. 
-hmm. My next question would be, is like, well, what do you want to remove from this area to make it affordable? Do you want to remove the transportation? Safety. Do you want to remove the police? Do you want to remove the fire department? Do you want to remove the Rogers Center, whatever it's called, where Vancouver loses their games? What do you want to remove to make it affordable? And that's where it gets dicey because they're like, well, no, we need those things. It's like, yeah, it makes sense why it costs what it does, I guess, right? I, I, I don't mean this in any disrespectful way at all. But it's interesting uh, when people call up and they say, hey, you know, uh, we're moving to Victor. We've got this idea. We're going to move from uh, wherever, uh, Ottawa to Victoria, uh, you know, and it's because of the weather. We're sick and tired of the snow. We're sick and tired of the traffic. We're sick and this is a typical, this is a typical dialogue, right? And I find it cute. And again, I don't mean this disrespectfully at all. I find it cute because people often think that they're the first people to come up with this idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. um and no they follow a long line of people who it's the wagon train to the promised land right yeah no it's it's a good way to put it right and and when all these people are doing it at once guess what else is going to happen the prices are going to keep going up because you're creating more demand <laughs> yeah. yeah um tony i've got a question you know on top of being an active team leader or running a very successful team in victoria you also train real estate agents Mm -hmm. So two part question, or I guess give me two answers here. Give me one answer for, for consumers listening and watching to this and one answer for real estate agents for the consumer. What are realtors lacking right now that they need to be trained better on? And for a real estate agent, what can they do to get in front of more consumers? So let's start with the consumer side of things. Like, if a consumer said to you, Tony, please, could you just train real estate agents to do this? What do you think that thing would be? Uh, contact. So more transparency, more touches. Uh, I would say, uh, and you guys both know this because, you know, you're both involved as well in, in the, the real estate training and coaching stuff. Um, despite the fact that agents feel that they are in contact enough with their consumers. This seems to be the number one complaint that consumers have. Uh, and, and subsequently for realtors, I would say, if you think you are touching your client enough, you've got to up that by 50% before the client starts agreeing. And I, I would, I would say that one of the reasons is consumers know that the price of our services is high. They're paying, they get it right? They, they're, they're paying for the price of real estate services. They are requiring a higher level uh, of service, maybe more so than, you know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago. So uh, regular contacts and for licensees, um, it's a reminder, touch your clients, even if there's nothing to tell them. Yeah. Right. You know, not just the, you know, whenever something comes up or, or whatever, it's just, it's, it's, it's uh, being a regular touch. So that's what comes to mind for me right now. No, I think that makes sense because I think most realtors, they're like, oh, I don't want to bug these people. Yeah. Bug well, them until they tell you to stop. Right? It's true because some people want to be, they want to be bugged more uh, and others not. That's for sure. Know your client. And that's the other one too for licensees. Know your client. Um, I I am not only, uh, I not only work for the coaching company, the real estate coaching company, but I'm also one of the instructors for our provincial association for our uh, BCREA, which is uh, our ORIA equivalent. I'm also an instructor for our, uh, for our, we don't call it council anymore, British Columbia Financial Services Authority, which is your RICO. Yep. Right. 
So, um, you know, I, I do instruct people that are getting into the real estate business. They're getting, uh, you know, they're signing up. Um, bright eyed and bushy tailed. They always are. Yeah. They're always smiling. This weird thing they do. They smile. The- that's right. All excited about the business. And, and, you know, so to answer your second question, the, the, the main thing that people forget about is it's a, it's a client service business. We can be the best realtor, the best equipped as far as marketing negotiation, you know, all of those things. But in the absence of actual clients, we can't really help people much. So the reminder for realtors is, um, Make sure you have plenty of clients and, and people go, how do you do that? Well, make your goal to meet somebody you don't know mm. every single week, every single week, right? I've always found too, it's like people don't move that often, but when the moment in time comes that they want to move, well, why would they think of you? That's, that's all I really think of. It's like, I know when I'm calling someone, the chance of them moving are very low and that's okay. I'll call with something else of value to them. I'm not calling them to try to sell their house that day, right? That's okay. that's unrealistic. But if I gave up on that for two years, well, guess what? Their best friend's going to start dating a realtor. The neighbor they meet across the street at their and their you know their kids' daycare. You know they meet the the other parents there. One of them's a realtor. Other people are going to intercept your clients if you do not stay in touch. This is, by the way, this is no secret. This is this is not just uh, to the real estate industry. I mean, um, why do uh, people in the financial advising business stay in touch with clients? Why do you get phone calls from your life insurance agent on a regular basis? You know, uh, even car sales guys, the good ones, they're staying in touch. They know when your lease is up, right? Uh, and the reason why all of the other businesses do this is because they know that uh, you are they're at risk at any moment of you, just like you said, Tom, bumping into somebody else. You know, your your kid gets a real estate license, your neighbor, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, it doesn't mean that the client, if the client bought or sold with somebody else, it doesn't mean they didn't like you. Hmm. It just meant that, you know, maybe you should have been in touch more. I guess it's a good reminder, regardless of what it is that, that you sell, don't think that you're not forgettable. <laughs> everyone's forgettable if you don't stay in touch with people they live their lives you're a small moment of their lives when you help them do whatever that thing was yeah and it's easy to find out because you guys both know when you ask a a, a prospect oh who was your realtor before who sold you this place oh it was um what's his name again steve Uh, karish i think was his name (laughs) don't mispronounce it karash (laughs) don't know uh no but they forget and 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 it's not like they didn't like the person. They had a great experience. They enjoyed the process, but they forgot them because they haven't been in touch in 10 years or, or whatever, seven to 10 years, right? And we're starting to see um, expired listings coming up. And when those people are reaching out, they're just like, yeah, the guy hasn't called me for the last 30 days. The listing just expired. Sign came out of the ground and that was that. So the t- once you actually go so far as actually getting business, then you got to, I'm going to use Tony's words here, you got to touch them even more often, maybe not physically, but you got to, you know, you got to be constantly updating your people with what's going on. Because I remember when I went through my last home sale, the feedback that the other agents wouldn't provide drove me insane, right? Like where a showing comes through, what did they think about it? No response. So that was a really nerve wracking part of it. So it's my job now to constantly update my clients. 
Well, so you're okay in the Fraser Valley, right, Steve? The Vancouverites, is it it still common that they will not provide feedback? Most agents do not. If I get one out of 10 feedback requests, uh, that's a lot. And then uh, unfortunately, most of the feedback I get is, yeah, they liked it, just wasn't right. And it's like, that is not constructive. If they're not writing an offer, you need to tell me what stops them from writing an offer on this property. And so when people phone me for feedback, which is very rare, which is kind of also crazy, (laughs) I am as blunt as I can possibly be. Listen, it smelled like dog. There was a half-eaten hamburger on the counter. This place stinks. And honestly, the, the feedback I get from the feedback is, thank you. I'm so happy I can provide this because now it's not that agent knows why that property is not selling, but they have a lot of trouble with communication to their own client to express that. And they don't want to be the bad guy. I get to be the bad guy now and they absolutely love it. So feedback is a really good thing because there's a really good chance that some of those people think that a half eaten hamburger on the counter is a normal thing (laughs) and they need to be told that, you know, People like to view clean houses that don't smell of urine, right? Like, that's part of our business. This episode of the Tom Story Show is brought to you by the Story Team at Royal Page Signature in Toronto, Ontario. The Story Team focuses on satisfying all of their clients' wants and needs when either buying or selling real estate in the GTA. But don't take my word for it. They have way over 100 five-star reviews on Google from clients singing their praises after amazing home purchases and sales. From downtown Toronto condos to semis to detached homes, whatever your needs, Tom and his team promise to provide an educated, honest, and transparent approach to helping all of their clients achieve their financial and personal goals through real estate. So there is no need to search bus benches or newspaper ads anymore to find the right agent for you. Just visit www.storyteam.ca to book a call with the Story Team today. That's S-T-O-R-E-Y-T-E-A-M.ca. That's storyteam.ca. This communication is not intended to cause or induce breach of any existing agency agreement. I think you guys in the GTA do okay with feedback, right, Tom? But honestly, we're at like maybe 25% people actually give it. It's not, and we have automatic feedback stuff now, but it's like, yes, no, maybe. Like, it's not good feedback. So uh, I'd say 25% is is what we're working on. Well, you know, what I was referring to is I I know in in Toronto, uh, sorry, in Vancouver specifically, uh, the attitude is generally, why should I help Steve with his listing? Why would I give you feedback? Because if I did, it could potentially, you know, put my buyer in a, you know, a bad position. They're not going to buy it anyways, right? So, yeah. So there's this, there's this attitude I know that exists out there. You know what, Tony? I've had before, and I've changed my language. I would ask people, "What did your client think of the house?" And I got a bunch of people saying, "I'm not telling you what my client thought of the house because we have a fiduciary duty to them." And I'm like, "Okay, fine. You want to play that card? Fine." fine. Can you tell me your feedback then? Can you give me something? <laughs> Just tell me your feedback then. My my favorite one is we've got a series of questions and I change them. Uh, do you run off of Tony? Do you run off of touch base? Yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So you so can, you I can... changed all those, yeah. those questions and now it's like, you know, what did they think of this? You know, four out of five or five out of five or whatever. And it's like really positive feedback. What do you think of the price? Way too high. <laughs> Right, so it's always like those are where the offers are going to come from, right? Because they love the property all the way down. Oh, by the way, your price is out of line. But who's going to tell you it's too low if they were interested in making an offer? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah, you well, know, we definitely. I don't think too low is one of our options, but you know, about right or or too high is definitely there. We're gonna find out if it's too low really quickly because we're gonna end up in multiple right. offers and uh, trying to explain a rescission period. Um, Tony, I want to ask you as a past president of the Victoria Real Estate Board, the inner workings of just that. Like I, I'm not, I'm not involved in organized real estate. I, I have a lot. I know a lot of people that are, including yourself. What did that entail? Was that a full volunteer position? How much time does that take? Are you working specifically just for the real estate agents? Like just for a consumer watching this, what what does that mean? So uh, first of all, it was a huge privilege. You know, uh, there are what is it, seventy six real estate boards across the country right now. Uh, and for consumers to know the real estate board's mandate is to deliver services for realtors. So things like the MLS uh, system, lock boxes, there's also edu- required education and uh, even professional standards. So consumers need to know that when uh, there's an issue, there is a avenue for people to complain and uh, you know to voice their concerns. Realtors do get in trouble. They can get disciplinary action. They can get you know uh, their license reviewed and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, organized real estate is uh, is important because uh, our industry is regulated. And as much as some of us hate that, there's all this regulation or whatever. I I always maintain it's required because I've also looked at other jurisdictions where real estate is not. Uh, um, uh, overseen, right? You look at some places like uh, Central and South America, you know, even Asia, where real estate is not regulated, a whole bunch of bad things happen, right? Mm-hmm. Could be argued we're overregulated, but, you know, I mean, consumer protection, it's all about consumer protection. Um, for, for, ser- for service in organized real estate, I, I have said um, to any real estate licensee out there listening, um, it was the best thing that I ever did because it just opened my mind to the to to the full workings of the industry and how it really is beneficial to consumers. There's no secrets. It's not the wizard behind the curtain uh, or whatever. But help me understand how things function, right? And and how things are the way they are. As the president of the real estate board, it wasn't time consuming. You know, if anything, it spoiled me because it was my first experience in a uh, board like in an organization and most real estate boards are well-funded, well-staffed, you know, when a committee decides on things, they get done. Uh, I have since served on countless volunteer committees uh, in the communities and it's completely opposite, mm. right? So uh, organized real estate has, uh, has spoiled me in that way. Um, but yeah. And the, and the other thing too, is just the, this whole notion and you do it too, Tom, because you know, the media calls you, you know, yeah. asking for, for, for things you need to know your numbers. Right. And that's what organized real estate also helped me do as well. You know, it's a habit of mine every month. I'm looking at the stats and I'm trying to figure out, you know, not just the numbers, but why they are so right. I'm also curious during that time in which you were the president and now your past president, um, uh, when you're meeting with a client, is it not also kind of like a, Hey, also the real estate board where our MLS comes from? Like, yeah, I'm the guy that I'm the president of it. <laughs> like that's one of the many, many reasons. Maybe you should give me a shot instead of this person. Not, not to say you're saying anything bad about the competition, but you get what I'm trying to say, right? Like it's a, it can't hurt. 
Yeah, you know, I've never used that for marketing. I don't know if other people have. Um, it has come up though, where people have said, "Oh, by the way, one of the reasons why we call you is because we see that you were, you know, you were the the president mm-hmm. back then." And you know, that's that's different, and that's you know, um, it it is it is a privilege, you know, because you're you are voted in by your peers, right? Right, and um, you know, some will argue, well, it's you know, very, it's politicized and all that stuff, especially in the larger boards, like you know. GTA, you guys got 75,000 realtors, right? Um, biggest real estate board in the world, right? Uh, Steve, I mean, uh, Fraser Valley is big now, too. You guys are at 6,000 or something, right? No, we're, I think we're cresting like 5,000, but we were at like under 4,500 just last summer. Yeah, forever. So, um, yeah, it's it's very fulfilling, you know, from a, being a licensee and a practitioner, uh, organized real estate, super fulfilling. So many things and the connections that you make with people in other uh, cities and towns. It just it, it opened my uh, 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 borders up from being hyper local Victoria only to understanding what's going on, you know, in right. your marketplaces across the country, you know, internationally, too. Right. So, Tony, what's going on a little bit with the then the. BC FSA size, your training? Yeah, well, I'm I'm one of the instructors for the applied practice course. So um, you probably remember BCREA used to teach new licensees and then it transitioned to Real Estate Council of British Columbia. And then Real Estate Council of British Columbia uh, transitioned to BCFSA. Uh, um, so British Columbia Financial Services Authority, which oversees banks, uh, uh, financial advisors, uh, all of that. We lost self-regulation. Uh, our listeners may not know a couple of years back. So, um, yeah, I, I migrated. So I am one of the instructors for, for BCFSA for our applied practice course. And that, is that like the mandatory courses you have to take to keep your license? Is that what that is? No, it's, it's the, so the one that I teach the applied practice course is when you write your exam and you pass, oh, okay. and then you've got to do this whole, you know, you guys have your, uh, whatever modules or components or yep. whatever you call it. Yeah. So that's, that would be this. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Slightly off topic here, but I just want your opinion on, and cause we talked about the regulation. We have a blanket regulation for Canada, at least for most areas for the foreign buyer ban. Mm-hmm. Um, when the finger was pointed at foreign buyers, the, the biggest finger was pointed at Vancouver, at mm-hmm. the island, at the GTA. Mm-hmm. So does this change anything? <laughs> You know, all we got to do is ask the lawyers, right? Right. You know, the lawyers are the people that handle the conveyance at the end of the day. Right. Um, And I have asked a lot of lawyers, hey, just out of curiosity, what percentage of your buyers were foreign entities or foreign buyers? And here in Victoria, that number was rarely above 3%. You know, two or three out of every hundred was a foreign buyer was not a large number, right? Uh, and then even now, the ban on foreign buyers uh, does not include commercial or industrial property. Yeah. And many of those sales were commercial and industrial. So um, I, I, we hear it all the time. Oh, you know, uh, foreign buyers are buying up properties or they've got, you know, somebody is leaving a house vacant and, you know, uncared for. And to which I say, give me the address. Tell me. Tell me who's, what is, who's your was, source. Well, this guy on Twitter said it. Yeah. Well, and there was one. I was on the radio. I was on our CFAX station. It was a call-in show once, and somebody said, "My neighbor." You know, I'm I'm like, okay, just tell me what neighborhood you're in, Camosun area. I did a little bit of digging, 
Yes, the house is empty because the buyer is waiting for a building permit for renovation. Right. Right. So let's get our story straight here. And the other one, too, and this is a gripe of mine. You, you know, anyone who's looking at me, I am Asian. Right. Uh, no, sure. Uh, I'm, uh, I didn't believe yeah, it. Yeah, OK. So <laughs> what people also say is foreign buyers bought my neighbor's house. What you yeah. don't realize is that they look like me. Uh, but yeah. they're from Vancouver. Yeah, hundred percent. They're yep. either they're either born and raised in Vancouver, or they have immigrated already, and they're naturalized Canadian citizens, having gone through GTA or Vancouver. You know, and you're calling them foreign? Come on, right? Yeah. Yes. And at the exact same time, that I think is hilarious is okay. We're going to eliminate. All these foreign buyers, by the way, here's the list of exemptions that exempts everybody that actually wants to buy real (laughs) estate anyway. But not only that, we've gone from 250 to 500,000 PRs. So all of those people that would have bought previously as a foreigner and paid tax and done all those things, they're just PRs now. Mm -hmm. So if anything, they're saying one thing uh, at the government level. And doing something completely different and opening the doors up to everyone. If they really cared about that, uh, and now this is obviously not the whole economy, but this is the uh, the housing side. If they cared about housing, they would just say, you know what, we're going back down to two hundred a year. Yeah, I uh, I, I interviewed a pollster uh, by the name of you guys know uh, Mario Canseco. Have you heard of him? He's out of uh, I think he's out of Toronto. Uh, he was fantastic. Great interview. You should think about getting him on. Yeah. Um, and we were talking about this foreign uh, buyer tax and everything. And he said, and this is the most brilliant thing. He goes, politically, the best thing that uh, a party or, or whatever can do is to impose a tax or regulation on a party that cannot vote for you. <laughs> they can't vote you in or out. Right, and it and it looks amazing to the rest of the uh, constituents, right? A great answer. <laughs> yes, yep. right. So, uh, yeah, it, it's um, scapegoat, right? Mm-hmm. I, I I maintain we are not overrun by foreign buyers. Um, I feel that the fellow Canadians themselves did a good enough job of pushing prices upwards. I guess now that we've regulated almost everything in BC, there's only a few fingers left to point that at some point we're going to have to acknowledge we aren't building enough homes or we don't have enough land in specific areas that people actually want to live. That's my caveat to that. Tony, our final question for you today, where we wrap up is you train new agents getting into the industry. Okay. How do you think these new agents are going to survive the next few years? Is this a good time to come into the market? Are they going to struggle? Because when they were getting their license or, or thinking about it, the market was booming. It is now, well, not booming. Mm. Uh, I think the hardest, uh, the ones who will have it hardest are the ones who got their license in the last three or four years that started their business off in that marketplace where business was falling out of the sky, multiple offers. You know, you didn't need to serve a client for three or four months unsold on the marketplace because you'd sell a house in three days. Uh, those are ones who are going to have the hardest time adapting to a normal marketplace, right? Um, there, there's anecdotal uh, uh, 
figures out there about the fact that the attrition rate for new licensees is something like 80% after two years. So 80% drop off after two years, but that's under normal time. Mm. And I have no doubt that that's going to be a higher figure uh, coming forward. A lot of people got into the real estate business because of COVID. Uh, you know, they lost their job in hospitality or, you know, airline travel or engineering or whatever and decided, oh, real estate, you know, everyone, I love houses. I love people. You know, I think I'll make a really good realtor. Uh, and then they get the uh, hard dose of reality as to what the business really is. It's Folks, mm-hmm. it's not HGTV. It's not driving around in Rolls Royces uh, and all that stuff. Uh, not even close. And, you know, it's not, is it a glamorous job? No. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, we, we are going to see, I do know, I will say that the, uh, age, the average age is down. So we've seen, I started when I was 20 and there was a lot of, uh, I mean, I was the youngest guy in the room forever. Right. Um, but now, uh, there's a lot of people starting off in their early twenties, which I think is great. Right. Um, the average age for the longest time for real estate was 57. Um, maybe with all these 20 year olds coming in, it's brought it down to 56 and a half or something. I don't know. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it will be tough. Uh, uh, like any industry though, when the market is, uh, uh, high, there's a lot of people coming in. We will get people moving out and like both of you guys. So for, for us, I say it all the time. We've got 1600 realtors in Victoria. Now we're at a new high. But we're still only dealing with the same 200 people day after day. Right. Yeah. So, Very small percentage is still doing most of the business. Yeah. Yeah. So whether it's 800 people or 1,600 people, it's the same 200 that we're dealing with on a, on a regular basis. Right? Yeah. Um, well, I'll say this. If you were one of the ones lucky enough going through your licensing that Tony trained you, I guarantee that your failure rate will be lower than whatever the norm is. <laughs> I'll, so. I'll say that. 79% at least, Tony. Let's <laughs> we'll, you. give you a percent there. Um, wrap up the show kind of final thoughts here, Tony, any final thoughts on, on 2023, how this might play out? Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, for the, for realtors, it's going to be, uh, you know, back to hard work, back to the grind. Uh, and as we talked about earlier, staying in touch with your contact, with your clients, making sure, um, making sure your existing clients know that you're taking care of them, making sure that your past clients know that you still exist and you're, you're happy to help them. Right. Uh, the way that the rates are looking right now and the way that the markets in general are looking, I think the best we can hope for is, uh, you know, kind of stability for the rest of the year, not going to be going up. I also don't think that we're going to see any, you know, painful, painful drops uh, either too. Steve, if someone's been listening for over an hour, they deserve an update on your weight loss because you've been crushing it <laughs> and, I, and I want you to give them an update. Uh, you know what? I was, I'm looking at the camera here and I was wondering if you're using some sort of thinning filter. No, there, I just Steve. stick my chin out now. It's going good, man. It's, it's going real good. Working out, feeling good. Uh, I had a cocktail the other day for a change. Um, yeah. Pound wise, as of this morning, uh, more than 20 pounds. So Amazing. it is dropping off. Now it gets tougher um, as we keep going. So the the weight per, I guess, week, I'm looking at it week over week, is now starting to slow. So you're going to see that. That makes sense, though. You would think, right? Yeah. Just, um, but yeah, it's it's coming, man. I'm crushing it. Keith's going to lose for sure. 
Uh, we checked in. I have lost more weight than him, and he has more to lose than me. So you're a loser, Keith. Um, but well, in a good <laughs> is that a good thing or a bad thing? Remember that show, The Biggest Loser? Was that a? Oh, I wasn't sure God. if that was a good thing or yeah, which Tony, which Keith? Which Keith are you talking? It's about? not Keith Roy because that's I was not wondering. Fair. He's got nothing to give. <laughs> yeah. No, it's another Keith Roy. Keith Roy can't lose a pound. Uh, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, another agent that I'm betting Tony. So um, we're trying to get a bunch of money raised for the food bank. Um, I could nice. probably just the grocery bill I'm saving, just donate that. And it would probably feed half a Surrey. I'm sure. So no, it's, it's going good. Uh, Tony, I do kind of have one question for you. I just want to ask this. You probably, you may not have an answer for it, but do you think because you're involved on the BCREA side and now the BCFSA side, do you think BC's two year licensing cycle has any play to either keeping people in or out of the industry? Um, what I will say is, you know, having taught a lot of the new licensees uh, in the past couple of years, there's n- I have no doubt that when their uh, renewal cycle comes, when it hits the two-year mark, we're going to see a lot of dropout. Mm-hmm. So the people, the people that maybe got their license a year ago, when it's renewal time next year, that's where we're going to see the dropout, right? So um, if anything, having a two-year cycle maybe keeps people in for two years and perhaps they shouldn't have been. You know, a lot of people try the business out and a year in say, oh, I don't like this or it doesn't work or whatever. But of course, you can have another job now. Like when I got licensed, you couldn't have another job. Yeah. But now, you know, we're seeing people waiting tables or, you know, working at the check-in at the airport also have their real estate license, right? Yeah, we yeah. could do another full hour on that topic, Tony, but okay. <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll wrap this up. So thank you so much for being here, Tony. For people that want to connect with you or learn, you know, what it's like to live in Victoria, that magical lifestyle that you're, you've sold us in the, the last promised hour. Land. The, the promised, promised land. land. Yeah, How yeah. do they connect with you or find you online? Find me online. It's the Prime Real Estate Team, primeteam.ca, primeteam.ca, or just Google Tony Joe Victoria. I I hope you find me there. You can tell that you're a radio host because you say things twice to make sure that they catch it. It's it's all these little, it's awesome. It's awesome. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. I'm Tom. We will see you next (laughs) Sunday. Uh, If you haven't already, like and subscribe. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Tony. That was amazing. Thanks. Thanks, guys.